Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi. I'm joined by my oldest son, John Mark Grodi, and uh, we're going to dig a little deeper into Scripture today. Thank you for joining us on this program. Uh, as we mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago, when we talk about digging deeper, we're not uh, implying that it's never been dug this deep before. Uh, digging ourselves deeper. It, you know. It's <laughs> about that. I mean, very seriously. We uh, and, and, and when I think about the Scriptures that I'm going to lay before my son today for kind of a father and son reflection, uh, a lot of people have different opinions on what these scriptures mean. So uh, more important, I think, to both John Mark and I are, what, what do they say for our lives in, in the way we walk with Christ, the way we live out our lives as husbands and fathers, and in my case, grandfather, and, and uh, as we try and lead this apostolate, the Coming Home Network. So um, today what we'll do is a little different, just in the sense that um, instead of John Mark and I both bringing scriptures to uh, a thing. I'm bringing some, and John Mark has no idea what I'm going to bring, but uh, he's just going to be there to add some thoughts. Uh, and again, here we are in uh, in the midst of this. Um, now, now we don't just say in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. We're in the midst of uh, national chaos. Uh with 2020 just keeps getting better and better. It, it's just re really, really amazing. And what's funny, 2020, we, we didn't see this coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, but with hindsight, yes. 2020 is always better with hindsight, they say, right? Yeah. Yeah. All the summer blockbuster movies got canceled because uh, 2020, the movie is quite enough, you know, to last us. <laughs> and how do you understand it? What's going on? I I'll be honest with you, all, my friends who are listening to this, I was very, very tempted to dig into some apocalyptic scriptures, uh, and maybe I will in the weeks ahead, but I'm not ready to go there, though my heart is there. But uh, but yet in the midst of this time, I'm, I'm still drawn back to some things that we've talked about over the last couple of months, you know, James with Count It All Joy in the midst of this these trials. Now, once again, when we began looking back in January at James 1, where he says, count it all joy when you meet various trials, I mean, sure, you know, of course, you know, we were talking about that, but had no idea what was ahead, 2020. And then all of a sudden, the COVID virus, everything's closed, churches are closed, we can't even go out and walk around without staying six feet from other people. We have nowhere, you know, it's crazy, just absolutely crazy time. Count it all joy. Because we know, as Scripture says, somehow this strengthens us for the journey. But even then, we didn't know that because of the totally reprehensible killing of a man by a policeman, that that incident would lead to what's happening across the country. And we're not going to get into politics here, because sadly, that's, that's what this has become. And it's, it's really crazy. And John Marcus, I think about what's going to happen in the future with not just my, 
my kids, you and Peter and Richard, but my grandkids, trying to look at the trajectory, it can be really scary as we look forward. And what do we do now about it? And so as I was thinking about scriptures for this time, <clears throat> I didn't want to have a big heavy about this whole thing. You know, I've, yeah. I've done enough of those. But I happened to be in uh, physical therapy this week as I was contemplating what scripture to, to use. And, and there I was in physical therapy, um, working through the recovery of my rotator cuff surgery. And they, it was funny, they had a one of the exercises they have me do is I stand in front of a mirror, and it's my left arm, and I can barely lift it all the way up anymore. It's still, it's getting better, but I have to lift it as high as I can while I'm looking in the mirror. So I, 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 I stretch it up on the mirror, then I make a kind of a D, a big D. And as I'm doing it, I'm looking at myself. And the reason I got to look at myself is I'm supposed to make sure my shoulders stay flat and all that. But as I was looking at myself, I looked into that mirror, and you know what I saw? It surprised me. An old guy. Hey, what's this old guy doing standing there? And it creeps up on you. We have an image in our mind of who we are, and it creeps up on you. And, of course, the verse that came to my mind as I looked in the mirror was the first verse I thought we would discuss today. And... That comes from Leviticus. We're not going to study this one, John Mark. I'll just say it for the fun oh, okay. of it. But That's I was it. thinking about this. This is what came to my mind as I looked at myself in the mirror. It's Leviticus 19, verse 32. And this is from the Lord to Moses, to the people. It says, You shall rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. <laughs> as I looked at that hoary head in front of me as I was struggling with pain. And that's the subject that really came to my mind, is pain. What do we do with pain? And John Mark, you studied philosophy, and, and you know that the problem of pain, the problem of evil, and all of that has been a topic of discussion since the beginning of time. How do you explain pain? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there trial? Um, and, you know, as I said in James, he says, count it all joy because we know that this, these trials are there to strengthen us. So there's one way. But how are, what about pain? And... Um, I was wondering about that. We were talking a moment ago with Bill in here, and he was talking about he's struggling with pain too. What does it mean? What, what do we do with it? And I'm wondering, first, John Mark, before I go to the scriptures, you're half my age. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we'll ever be at a time when we're exactly half our ages because you're 30, you're about to be 34, and I'm 68. You're about to be 33. Oh, okay, yeah. In August, and I'm 68. So, but when next year you turn 34, I'll be 69. Then when you're 30, yeah, when when you're 35, I'll be 70. So we'll 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 hit it there. But as you look at in your life, 
as a father, husband, how do, do you in your family respond to pain in your life? In When your kids are having pain, when you're having pain, when Teresa's having pain, you know, how do you in your age, how do you understand pain and deal with it? Yeah, such an interesting topic. So pain, of the things we experience, pain is honestly one of the most like vivid and immediate things we experience. You know, just about everything else in life is a bit more subtle and nuanced, but pain is, is right there. It's the thing that you can't very easily um, not pay attention to. There are different kinds of pain, right? I think about the different, in the course of a day at our house, you know, between hurt feelings and, and skinned knees and chronic aches and pains, you know, Teresa's got lots of those from, from bearing five children. Um, I've got a few here and there from, from over the years, but, um, but the different kinds of pain we experience, um, you know, certainly with, with our children, we hope that we are uh, communicating to them that the, um, that pain isn't the worst thing in the world. And certainly the, the avoidance, the mere avoidance of pain can't be the purpose of your life. The mere avoidance of discomfort. Um, but that's a difficult thing to teach, especially when that's, that's a vice that we all sort of labor under, uh, under, you know, I, I think to some degree, a physical pain, an acute physical pain, it's probably the easiest thing for me to deal with, you know, getting a, getting blood drawn or something like that, or, or kicking my toe, whatever. I'd, I'd prefer that over the much more nuanced and difficult and prolonged, you know, mental and emotional pain of how do I persevere through this difficult family situation, you know, or this recurring parental struggle that I just, I'm so bad at the, the psychical pain involved in that. So that in terms of day-to-day life, there's many different kinds of pain, but we, um, I think all of us in our different ways are trying to come back to this recognition that um, regarding that pain well is is the key. And, and what does that look like? How do I do that? I may presume that that's... Well, it's kind of like, is, is there, to use a philosophical term, is there a teleological aspect to pain? Mm. Or is it just a part of of the evolution of mankind, you know, our living in this world, it has no ultimate purpose, reason, mm-hmm. but is there a reason mm-hmm. for it? Right. At big and little levels. You know, I remember on the farm, and you remember, we had bees at one point. Yeah. And we don't need to tell the audience how stupid your dad was for where he put the beehives. We don't have to go there. <laughs> but uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, we had beehives, and, and there in the beehives was the luscious fruit, if you will, the honey. But to get to the honey, you had to wear suits and headgear and use a smoker. Why? Because you didn't want pain, at least no, no more than necessary, because you want to get that. So you have all these reasons to, to avoid the pain so you can get the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth is, when I've talked to beekeepers, 
After a time, they get used to the stings. They're not as cautious. I mean, they are. They'll use a smoker, but they won't necessarily have the whole big thing on. They might put something over their face, but, you know, they get used. They wear the same jeans and clothes. The bees get to know them. Yeah. But they become accustomed to that sting a bit more. Yeah. And I was going to say that I haven't been stung by a bee or a wasp in years. Yeah. And so what happens is I get a bit nervous about it. Right. I'm a bit afraid because I've forgotten. I haven't. Yeah. I no longer have gotten accustomed to the level of that pain. I know when I go in to get my blood taken, I know what the level of that pain is, so I don't have any problem with that. But a bee, and then I saw a picture of these murder hornets that are on their way. <laughs> They're the, the, about as big as a baseball, and I'm thinking, yeah. do I want to get stung by one of those guys? So, yeah. again, this deals with preparing yourself and accepting yeah. and even moving forward for the good things in life when it, between it and you is pain. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, the, the example of the, of the beekeeper, because I remember at that time period in, in our life as we were meeting different beekeepers in the area, and a lot of them were these old guys who'd been doing this for years, and... You know, they're like guys from the movies where they, they're like the bee whisperer. They've just got <laughs> a certain mystical sense around these animals. And they would tell us the things about that weird relationship. And, you know, something, a, a, at least a part of it was that, you know, many different animals and insects seem to have an uncanny ability to kind of sense when you are afraid. Yep. When you are in a heightened state of fear or anger or something like that. And so, you know, m me or you going up to the beehive we go with fear and trepidation and we need our suits on because the, the bees can, can somehow sense that. But somehow with some of these beekeepers who've been doing this for years, precisely because they were able to greet the possibility of pain as a sort of an old friend, you know, something not to be feared, that also affected whether or not they felt that pain. And that's such an interesting image too because it's such an interesting thing. How much of pain is the pain itself and how much of pain is the the fear leading up to it, and then when it does occur, the the um, the bewilderment about when will it end or, or will it go on forever? I mean, very few of the things we experience in that tiny slice, that moment where we're experiencing it, are unbearable. What's unbearable is the thought: this is this is it. This is I, I, I'm never going to escape this. You know, this is inevitable. I'm doomed to this. But that's, that's really the psychical aspect of it. The pain itself usually is acute but manageable in various things in our life. And it's interesting, the relationship between the, the psyche and the actual stimulus of yeah. pain. You know. Yeah, the same two, the two people can receive the same prick. Mm -hmm. But one person, it's nothing. Right. The other person is screaming, high heaven. And it's how we accept pain. And we live in a culture, it seems to me, John Mark, that does everything possible to eliminate pain as well as death. Mm -hmm. If you will, this whole COVID-19 pandemic, a big part of it has been driven by the fear of death. And especially the first month of it, when everything was shut down, and for great reason, because we didn't know, we didn't have the data yet. 
and it was because of how lethal is this infection. But then over time, when we start seeing the data and found out it wasn't as lethal or that the pain that it caused wasn't as debilitating, then pretty soon we ease up the caution. We ease up the controls. So here we are. We're, we're taping this in June. And uh, here we are in Ohio, and almost everything is open, though it's, though it's kind of a crazy time. Um, and what, less than 3% of people who, who get this thing die. And the people that do die are people my age and older. So again, it brings us back to the issue of pain and death. And specifically from a Christian standpoint, how do we understand pain and death? Why is there pain? Is it a good or a bad thing? Is there a teleological purpose behind the pain in our life? And before I introduce the scripture, John Mark, I'm going to ask one more thing. Do you, do you think that there's a normal rule or, a, a, if you will, a custom or just, just a reality that people younger face and, and accept pain differently than maybe people who are older? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, you can have all kinds of, on the one hand, we, you could have all kinds of intellectual knowledge or, or beliefs about pain, you know, what we read in scripture or what, you know, maxims or principles we receive from our elders. But that, that can, that's just head knowledge to some degree. You know, the real, I, it would seem to me that the, it's the experience of living life and, uh, and how one has, has uh, met and embraced and accepted and lived through various pains that really conditions, you know, the, the, mm, the learned, habituated, practiced uh, virtues associated with how one regards pain. Yep. And when you're young, you expect to have a vibrant life. Most people do expect it. So when you encounter pain, it's like, whoa, what's this all about? Yeah. Um, or if you're young and you don't have that vibrancy, then it's like, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I have to go through this? Because you expect mm -hmm. that when you're young, you've been given this gift of life. And so why do I have all this pain? There's something wrong here. And I would suggest that generally, normally, when you're older, it's more par for the course. Uh, when I was younger and I fell and hurt myself, I expected the next day to feel better. Right. When you're older, you fall. I expect in three weeks to feel better. It takes longer to heal. So anyway, but I believe, and this is part of what I want to get at, is that we live in a culture that is has uh, rejected that there might be a teleological reason behind pain mm. that's important to us as we grow yeah. for our spiritual lives. And that to a certain extent, it is the work of the enemy, the devil, to use culture 
to make us reject the value of pain in our spiritual lives. And if we reject it, not just for a short time, but for a long, the longer we reject it, the more difficult it is for us to face the lives that we've been given. Does that make sense, Emmerich? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the two text sections that I want to throw before you, I'm not going back to that Leviticus one about the, the ugly face, but uh, in the first one is I'm going to look at Paul's expression of Paul's confession, if you will, that to me is a fascinating attitude. And it's in, from one of my favorite books, Philippians. Um, and in Philippians 1, verse 21 and 22 and 3, 21 through 23. Paul's in chains. This is one of his happier letters, right? He, he's not really writing to them because they've got a lot of problems in their church. He's writing to encourage them and to strengthen them and rejoice. It's a joyful letter. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of this, at verse 19, he says, Yes, and I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of your Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He's in chains, and he has no clue what's going to happen to him. That's kind of like us folks right now in the midst of this craziness. We all just assume, oh, there's a light in the tunnel and everything. We don't know what this craziness in our cities is going to do. But here's the verses. For Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If it is to be life in this flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, John Mark, I'm interested of how you view these verses at your age mm-hmm. versus how I view them at mine. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that you and your and your buddies, Christian or non, how they would feel about the attitude that Paul expresses in these verses? Yeah. Um, I don't think that we are at the stage of life where we are weary of life and, and holy enough to desire to go beyond yet. I, I notice that myself once in a while, you know, I, you know, uh, as life gets busy and I, and I notice in myself an attachment to things staying as they are, my plans, my goals, what I, where I assume I'm going to be in 10 years. And, 
whenever I, I notice that myself, I should notice it a lot more often, but whenever it, it is brought back to my mind, I do have a moment of trepidation because it's, I, I, I do know that, it, that this life is short, you know, and I'm either growing more detached through the actions and the decisions of the day to day, or I'm growing more attached and boy, I get through many days and many weeks and it comes back to my mind realizing that I, I have in, in some ways in my heart, I've grown more attached <laughs> to my life rather than less. Yeah. Behind these words of Paul, and I would encourage those of you who, who've listened, and I thank you for that, mm-hmm. on your own to prayerfully think about this section of Scripture and what Paul is saying here, because what we're seeing in here is a conviction of his heart that didn't happen overnight but took a long time for him to grow in this wisdom. It isn't just age. It came from walking with Jesus. Because what are his convictions? But to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's there's two those are not the same thing. To live or die, two different things. And he sees there's great value in both. But for him, life is he's come to the conviction that the one significant teleological reason for this life is Jesus Christ. He says that in Galatians 2:20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but by faith in him I live. To live is Jesus. That's the key. To die, now how is that gain? If to live is Jesus, then how is dying gain? And I think in our culture, we have whole thousands of people an entire industrialized medical system built on the idea that to die is not gain. Is the greatest loss. Yeah. Is the greatest single loss in our life. And what Paul has come to recognize is that whether I live or die, I have life in Christ. That's of value. So, if that's true, if you really, really believe that, and if you sit back and you reflect that right now, whether I'm living or dying, in a sense, it doesn't matter. It's what God wants for me, because either are fine. That is an attitude that I believe is the trajectory of the gospel that Christ has given to us for us to have. And it's hard to teach a young person that. Well, they got the whole life ahead of them. As you say, John Mark, the idea of, no, it, it takes a while. And maybe this is part of the wisdom that comes with age, is you start to recognize what you've seen and what you've experienced, and, and, and that the pearly gates are getting closer. Maybe. But the truth is, John Mark, you and I are talking here, you might go before me. We don't know. So that's why this is an attitude mm-hmm. that should be a part of life mm-hmm. for a person as 
early as they can get it. I mean, how do you, as a as a young father, can communicate this to your your almost nine year old young son? Yeah, I didn't have to bring it up. I, it was it was uh, three or four years ago. You know, the first time uh, Dominic started crying in mass, and I alarmed i asked him what was wrong and he he said would will if i die like if will teddy be with me in heaven you know yes. those kinds of questions those kinds of conversations began to be had and you know obviously there's you you get <laughs> conflicting emotions about those because on the one hand there's a there is a part of you there's a, a fleshy part of you that wants to just dismiss and try to ignore those parts of life but i know that that would only be setting up my kids for a rude awakening later. Just like we, we all have to live um, loving life insofar as it is a gift of God to be used and embraced well with all its pain. But at the same time, recognizing that we have a foot in foot in the beyond that this isn't our home. This isn't our right. ultimate destiny. You know, uh, I want to make a reference that some might uh, find offense at. I hope not, but a year, a couple of years ago, uh, a gunman went into a school and shot a bunch of little children. And that's an absolutely horrendous act. We know that it is. We would never condone uh, uh, in any way. But there was one thing that I kept hearing people say that troubled me a bit. And that was when they, they looked at the horrendousness of that event, they were saying that these poor children were robbed mm. of their right to live. Mm. And and I would, on the one hand, agree about it's a both and. It's a both yeah. and. The right to live. It's, it's a right, right. If, if, if mm-hmm. a person is conceived, and they have a right to live. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a right to a long life. Mm-hmm. No one does. Mm-hmm. No one does. And my only point with that is that somehow we need to help our children recognize to appreciate mm-hmm. the life they have now. Yeah. You and I, John Mark, talk about it's it, it's not this long life and everything's maybe, mm-hmm. but the life we have now may be it, mm-hmm. and that's why Paul can say right at this moment to me is to live in Christ. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right now, yeah. Um, and he gives the reasons if. If it is to be life in the flesh, hey, I've got all this great stuff I can do for the good of the kingdom. He said, but my desire is to depart and be with Jesus, for, with Christ, for that is far better. So there's another part of this. It isn't merely that Paul, after all these years, has grown to see the both and, mm-hmm. but he's grown in his time to recognize that there is a better there is a better, mm-hmm. and that is to be with Christ. Yeah. You know, one of the the sort of the axes that kind of runs through these these notions and concepts and and, and sets them straight or, or gives uh, gives real context, real meaning to them is just recognizing that you know part of the part of the point of life, part of the process of life is uh, part of the point of life is that it is a process. 
you know, that there, we're to, there's something we're to undergo. There's a, tra- a process of transformation, of sanctification that we're to undergo. And, and all, the, all the stuff of life, all the things we're allowed to experience, all the things that Christ allows in our life, puts in our life, brings us to, he gives us the grace to embrace because it's, it's for our, our good, our betterment, our growth. And recognizing that, you know, we all spend much of our life ironing out the effects of, of, of original sin, the, the, and, and the, as well as the effects of our actual sin, those imperfections. We're, we're to grow in virtue. We're to, to grow to be uh, people who can see the face of God through his grace. But recognize that, um, you know, sort of the root of, of, of all sin, you know, the, the, the deepest sort of sin is, is a pride. You know, pride is kind of this root sin. And uh, pride and humility, again, I, I always like to bring up the virtues here because the, yeah. the medievals, they really had uh, a science for understanding uh, a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, pride and humility, we tend to greatly reduce those concepts until they're, they're, they're almost meaningless. When we think of pride, we think of someone who's, you know, braggadocio, someone who's arrogant, you know, someone very public and drawing attention to themselves, which is really just vanity. It's not really pride. And uh, similarly, when we think of humility, we think of someone who maybe thinks little of themselves, badly of themselves. That's not humility either. Think about the, what the deepest meaning of pride is. We, one way we might say it is that it's a, it's a relating to reality, a self-referential relating to reality, that the world revolves around me, that what is good is what affects me. You know, pain is bad because it hurts me. This life is valuable because it's mine. Um, it's it's uh, pride is self-love but again as we kind of break that open and flesh that out we realize that you know we all these concepts pain death the purpose of life we realize that we all struggle with this root of pride in ourselves that wants to look at all these things in relation to me whereas um the goal of life i mean god is a trinity and Christ invites us into the life of the Trinity. That's, that's our goal. That's the invitation he gives us. But the life of a Trinity is a community, a community of love. Love is the purpose. That's what we're going to. Yeah. So the process of life is sort of this gradual departure from the, the self-referential love of self to be able to turn and face another and, and love. And so, you know, all these, all these concepts, I think we can see that, again, to the degree that we're mired in our pride, in that self-love, um, we can't make sense out of the yeah. idea that you would do anything other than flee from pain or avoid death at all costs. But what if love of another was was the purpose of my life, was my deepest value? Then all that changes, all that looks, the whole horizon looks different. The, yeah, simply the more one grasps onto themselves, yeah. the less they can say what Paul said. Right. Because to me to live as Christ, a person that grasps onto himself wouldn't say that yeah. to a full level, maybe to a little yeah. level. Right. Or that they would say to die is gain. Right. No, because they would lose themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's our whole culture. That's why our entire culture, our entire industrial last 300 years or whatever has been about 
gaining control for the sake of self. Mm -hmm. And when that got mixed with the medical system, then the entire medical system became Mm -hmm. this very thing. Interestingly, the model for us comes a couple paragraphs later. I won't read the whole thing, but that's when he says, have this mind in Philippians 2.5 among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Mm -hmm. but emptied himself. Yeah taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Yeah. That's the model. Mm -hmm. And for today's discussion, when I see what's the place of pain is there a teleology? Is there a purpose? Mm-hmm. And I believe the reason God has given us the gift of pain throughout our life is to prepare us and enable us to let go. Mm-hmm. It prepares us, strengthens us to be able to let go. And if we, av- the more we avoid pain the less we are prepared mm-hmm. to let go. Right. And the, the reason that struck me was when I think about, I, I live with pain all the time. I could have chosen during this recovery time to just pump myself with Oxycontins every day. Mm-hmm. But I realized through the wisdom of others that the only way I can recover is to feel the pain. If I don't feel the pain, I don't know that I'm hurting myself. The mm. pain helps me know. Right. Okay. But I think the reason pain prepares us to be ready for the next life is that when you're younger and you're expecting life to be vibrant and then what do I deal with pain? Well, you're not thinking about, as what Paul says, don't die as gain. That's not a part of your, your, so what do I do with this pain? As you get older, I think pain that you have draws you to the point of what Paul says. Mm. I'm ready to go. Mm. It, it, it helps you become more ready to go. That's the pains of life. doesn't mean that life is meaningless No, but it helps you start to adapt yourself to a better place. Mm -hmm. And that's why Paul at this age is able to say, you know, whatever, Lord. Mm. And our model was Christ. Now, what what I'd like to draw, I'd like to draw now to another scripture, John Mark, because how did Paul get to this? How did he get to this attitude of letting go? How did he get grow to appreciate what Christ did on the cross? How did he grow to this point where he's in chains rather than just begging for somebody to put up the money to free him? You know what I'm saying? Do everything possible to free. 
free him from this pain, this potential death. And the pain. no, he wasn't there at all. He said, you know, whatever. How did he get there? And I think part of it is just accepting the pain that comes. But actually, the Sermon on the Mount was all about preparing us for this very thing. The Sermon on the Mount, the new law, was all about growing in selflessness, was letting go, was all about growing in love, was all about detaching ourselves from the things that hold us to this earth. And so, John Mark, and I'd like to throw this out to you. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Because in Matthew 6, 19, 20, 21, to me is the underlying truth that Paul had come to accept that in time strengthened his convictions and resolve to get to that point. When our Lord had said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart be awful. also. We look at that statement by Paul, where was his treasure? Where was his treasure? It was in Christ, wherever Christ wanted him to be. It's where you are, Christ, wherever you want me to be. Whether I'm in chains, whether, it, it, or whether I die. Mm. He, had, he had grown to that. Right. Now, what I'm suggesting, John Mark, and is that with this as the underlying principle that we have to grow to accept. How do we help our young people to accept that? How do we help Catholic Christians, non-Catholic Christians, grow in this? I believe that was why our Lord gave us what was in the previous verses of chapter 6 leading up to the one I just read. What are the three things, John Mark, that he talks about in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18, what are the three things that our Lord tells us are the three pains that we inflict on ourselves that help us let go? Well, I see fasting in here. Yes, that's one. Giving alms. Two. Prayer. And prayer. Yeah, just yeah, like our Lenten, Lenten practices, yeah. Think about those. Those three, the triad. The triad, <laughs> prayer, alms, and fasting. Now, mm -hmm. there are values to those three things. But he talks in all three, our Lord talks in all three when it comes to almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. He talks about a reward. 
that our Lord gives. And I believe that we have to be careful that we don't think that the reward he's given us is if I right. pray right, he's going to reward me. Right. right. If I'm right. generous, he's going to reward me. Mm-hmm. If I fast correctly, he's going to reward me. Right. I mean, really, why is our Lord calling us to prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, especially in relationship to what it did to change Paul's understanding of life? The reward is simply himself. Like what, uh, like what St. Thomas uh, said when the Lord came to him in a vision at the end of his life. What would you, what would you ask of me? Only yourself, Lord. I think that was St. Thomas. Was that Thomas? Yeah. Only you. That's the reward I want. That's the reward he offers us. Yeah. When there, there's, a, there's a pain involved mm-hmm. in prayer, almsgiving, mm-hmm. and fasting. What's that pain in prayer, almsgiving, and fasting? What's the pain? It, it's not primarily the loss of money, you know, or the loss of food or the loss of the time spent prayer. I would say the, it, the, the greatest loss is that you, it's not my will, but thy will. It's you're relinquishing hold, your hold on yourself. My will, the way I want to do it, the way I want to become holy, the way I want to grow, the way the things I want to get out of prayer. The, the, what I'm hoping to get out of this Lent this year. And instead it's saying, no, thy will, Lord. My time, mm-hmm. my stuff, my pleasure. It's my time to do with what yeah. I want. It's yeah. my stuff to do with yeah. what I want. And it's my pleasure to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And our Lord says, it ain't your time. Mm-hmm. It was a gift. It ain't your stuff. It was a gift. It ain't your pleasure. It isn't your pleasure. It was a gift. You let go. And we can't let go of it all at one time because in this life we are so attached, we know that. So what do we do? We take time for prayer. Take time for fasting. And we give. And and the reward is not so much what the poor received, Mm -hmm. though that's a good thing, or the end result of how our prayer was answered, or whether in fasting we lost 10 pounds. That's not the point of it. The bottom line is growing through this pain Mm -hmm. to let go and move forward preparing us for the time when we have to let go of it all because he's calling us home. And Paul got to the point where I'm ready to let go of it all whenever, Lord, because I want to be, as you said, with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, The what does it mean to have a pure heart? You know, what is, uh, and I, I think I've quoted it <laughs> last couple times we've talked, you know, yep. Kierkegaard, I just love that line, that haunting line, the purity of heart is to will one thing, you know, and as you said, like we're attached to so many things to such bewildering degrees when, it, when we, when we face up to it squarely, uh, the project of our life is to detach from those good things. They're good things. We're attached to good things that God created, you know? 
but mostly what we're attached to, and this is, again, this gets back to the, the issue of pride. Mostly what we're attached to is our self in those things. You know, the, it's the my in the stuff. That's the problem. The stuff's a good thing. God made the stuff. He made the pleasure. He made the, you know, he, he's made the world. Everything that he's made is good. The problem in all the problem in greeting all those things is that it's the my, the me, the, 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 and to the degree that I'm holding on to myself, that's, that's where my treasure is. My treasure is with my, my self-reliance, my love of myself. And it's this process of, you know, in little ways, loosening that grip so that I can be attached to Christ. So that's my, my treasure, my heart uh, lies in the other that I'm to love. And we think about the church as its rules about prayer, fasting, almsgiving, leaves a lot of leeway, but it has rules. And we generally don't like rules. And they're simple rules, suggestions, but how easily we fight against them. Especially during this time when we came go to Mass. Well, how many Catholics continued their disciplines or just let them slide? Realizing that these disciplines are the pains mm -hmm. that prepare us so that as we grow in prayer, mm -hmm. what happens is we're already a part of heaven. Yeah. As we let go of our stuff, mm -hmm. we're already a part of heaven. As we let go of our pleasures, mm -hmm. our passions, we're already a part of heaven. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like Paul is saying, I don't know whether I want to live or die. He's already there. He's mm -hmm. experiencing now the reality of Christ, mm -hmm. a foot in both places, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's important, you know, again, so thinking earlier about what pride means, it's a self-love that's at the root of the my and all those things. Um, well, what is what is contrasting with that? What's what's humility really mean? And Dr. Peter Kraft described humility. I'm not sure if this originated with him, but it's not thinking of yourself less, or it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Yeah. You know, humility is this this beginning to dissolve the glue between my love and myself so that I can be attached to another person. Um, we could imagine, you know, starting from a place of, you know, of fear and avoiding of pain. That's certainly where we, we, we sort of start life, you know, we don't want pain. But we could also, um, there is a possibility that we could uh, kind of take the Stoic route, like the, the, the Greek Stoics, you know, where we begin to, the focus of our life turns to uh, reliance on our strength to weather this pain. You know, there's another, there's another extreme there where I, I've gone from, you know, uh, love of self that manifests itself in fleeing from all pain and discomfort to a love of self that glories in my ability to deal with whatever life comes to me. I am a, I'm a type A person. I get through the projects and I'm doing this much stuff and I'm fasting all this kind of stuff. And there's a danger there too, because the, as you were saying, the goal of those things is the, the problem there with all those things is the my, it's the, it's the giving up of my will to replace it with God's will. 
It's to trust on his strength and his grace, you know? And so the, to embrace that pain well and, and recognize that the, the point here is death to, death to self, you know, that I want to replace my self-love with actual love, love of God and love of neighbor. And there's obviously so much to cover when we deal with the issue of pain, and I know that we've, we've not covered anywhere near the whole topic and maybe have opened up a few, thumb, few ideas that we haven't really brought around. But when I think about, just in closing, this issue of pain in our life, I guess my challenge is to see that when we're how do we re, how do we face pain and yeah. just reflect on that and see that there's a certain level of pain as a gift that helps us grow in the ability to let go of ourselves yeah. and accept the inevitable mm-hmm. death is coming and how do we view it um and is it is it something that we accept and recognize that pain as we grow to accept levels of pain in our life we see them as this mysterious gift of god that strengthens us in little ways Mm -hmm. to face the big things that may be ahead Mm -hmm. and I would say that the earlier we learn that, the better. And the danger is that as we get older, if we've spent years and years and years of doing everything to avoid pain, that we may have found ourselves unprepared for uh, the inevitable. All right. All right, my son. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to remind the audience that uh, recently on the Journey Home program, I had a chance to interview one of my other sons, uh, Deacon Peter. In fact, by the time this, no, I think this will be broadcast before his ordination to the priesthood, but sometime soon. So if you go to the CH Network website, right, John Mark, the YouTube channel, is that where they could watch it? Yeah, chnetwork.org is our website, and you can find all the Deep in Scripture programs as well as all the other great programming there. Also, our YouTube channel where all these videos and other great videos are posted. All right. Thanks, John Mark. And thank all of you for joining us. And if you've got any comments or questions about anything that we discuss in Deep in Scripture, please pass them along to us. We'd love to address them on this program. God bless you. Look forward to being with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.